Data storytellers. Today we have a special show for you. I think Dave might be the the first person with the second appearance on the Data Storytellers podcast. So, Dave, welcome back on the show. Right on, right on. Honored to be here. Thank you for the return visit, man. Uh, absolutely. Um, actually, I think our episode that we recorded originally it's one of the very few that I actually listened to uh, after. And it was uh, really good. I'm kind of like Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt said that he never watches his own movies, right? So I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is I'm comparing myself to Brad Pitt in that context. So you got uh, the look down. So he's got to <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. So also, <laughs> also we have a special occasion for the, uh, for the podcast because you just uh, released your book, Entry Level Escape. So congratulations on that. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So today we're going to dive into that. It's also a special episode because um, the audience might be a little bit different. Uh, we can talk about who the uh, book is written for. Spoiler alert, it's usually people in more entry-level um, uh, stages of their uh, careers. But I also found it actually immensely beneficial to even myself you know, as a, as a business leader. So I can see so much relevance about um, how this will be beneficial for senior people, which we can unpack during the, the conversation. So those people who haven't seen our original podcast, and they absolutely should, um, can just give like a quick introduction into who you are and also what made you the ideal author to write this book. Right on, man. So thank you for that. So uh, my name is Dave Coughlin, and I'm an executive director at CVS Health. And I've been doing data science in various ways since 2006. So I'm old. <laughs> but uh, I've been focusing primarily in healthcare. And so where I really got into the data science was in population health. And then I did some data science strategy consulting with PwC. And then I've been in this role in uh, CVS Health in the we call commercial growth, which is really trying to use data science to drive business to business sales. So CVS being a massive healthcare company, uh, we have all these wonderful insurance products, medical insurance, dental insurance, pharmacy insurance, and so on that are sold to employers. And that's where I work. I try to help those, those that sales team sell more of that. And so that's a little bit about me. Uh, I live in Boston and I've got a wife and three kids also okay and fantastic so, congratulations on that too yeah thank you sir thank you sir so why did i write the book so while i've been a data scientist for about 17 years i've been mentoring for a little over 10 and as i've been doing the the mentorship i noticed in maybe four-ish years ago i kept having the same conversations over and over again with every single mentee and basically what was happening is they come to me and they say, hey, man, I really want to get promoted. How can I get promoted? What does it take to get promoted? That was like the, the thrust of it. And I was thinking, through, okay, well, what do you need to get promoted? And I had this, again, like I said before, like same conversations over and over again. And so it was, okay, first of all, you probably don't need more data science, right? You're doing data science. You're qualified to be a data scientist. You already got your master's degree. Stop focusing on that. That's great to pick up kind of organically, 
that's you're in the diminishing returns part of the curve. Second thing was you got to focus on the complementary skills, which we talk about in the book, rounding out your total package because it's a competition. And so you can either fight tooth and nail to be the best data scientist with other data scientists who are also trying to be the best data scientist, or you can flank everybody by being good at so many other things that allow you to have more opportunities to just do stuff. And then with that stuff, you have impact. And that is another very, very common discussion that I've had with almost every single mentee, which is they come to you and they say, hey, I built 10 models. I did 30 analyses. I sent 600 emails. It's like, great, but like, so what? And that's like when the light bulb goes off and they're like, oh, that's what matters. Yes, impact, wonderful. So that was the, the constantly recurring uh, theme, those three topics. And then as I was working more directly with several of the mentees, trying to figure out, okay, what's the right way to package this all up? And that's where the idea of turning your promotion into a project and developing a one-year plan came about because it was, hold on, give yourself milestones, but have this discipline for your promotion that you would bring to any project that you work on. So those are sort of like the four key aspects that when you bundle them all together, you end up with this entry-level escape plan. And that's where the idea came. So how do you get somebody out of entry-level? And so that was from the, the mentorship side. That's why I thought, hey, why, I'll write a book. I'm having the same discussions. Let's scale it, right? Because the book is infinitely scalable. Now it's in Canada, thanks to you, right? So. And the UK that's, as well. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's that's from the mentorship side. And then as I was writing it, I started reflecting on my own career and all of the things I did wrong trying to get out of entry level myself. So being incredibly input oriented. So I did 37 reports and like talking to my boss, look how many reports I did, look how many studies I did. Like, who cares? Like, where's the so what? And he's getting mad. Like, what do you mean so what? So what is I did all this work? That was one. And then uh, there's a few other ones that I did wrong. I'm going to save that for a little bit later in the podcast, but that was the tripwire section, mm. right? And so part of why I thought it would be uh, appropriate for me to write the book was not only because I'd been doing this mentorship and helping them, all of my mentees to kind of make that quantum leap towards, you know, the right, get the right skills, focus on impact, treat it like a project, but also reflecting on my own struggles. Uh, let me try to De disarm tripwires that may hold them back and turn their one-year plan into a two-year plan or even a five-year plan. Hmm. So that's that's what all culminates in in the book and why why I took pen to paper. Well, fantastic, and that, I think that was also like a good teaser of of the scope of this conversation because those are all just such like deep concepts and principles mm -hmm. that we can absolutely dive into. And if I might compliment you, I really like that. You know, when I uh when I bought the book, when I internationalized the project, then <laughs> then you know, usually I'm sure you're the same. You have a stack of books on your shelf that all of them would be super important to read. So I really appreciated that you helped me in the first because look, I knew that I wanted to like dive into the book anyways, and you're someone whose perspective I appreciate, but you made it very easy because just opening up the introduction, the first couple of pages, you do a very good job at kind of selling the book, creating intrigue, you know, creating value and just kind of pulls you in. And that actually ties into the complementary skills section because I read a lot of books on data analytics, right? Especially like entering into that field roughly like a, a decade ago. 
and I want to familiarize myself uh, more with the uh, with the field. And unfortunately, most of the books written in that domain are not too interesting. If you're listening to this and you wrote a book on data analytics, just presume that you're the exception. But uh, but unfortunately, kind of the the same disease that plagues the industry usually plagues the books as well. So I I I really liked that you immediately made an exception uh, of yourself. So. Um, before we dive in, so I wanted to ask you this, but now I get the opportunity mm-hmm. to do this publicly. So your public profile, your LinkedIn, and actually even with Paul, we've been talking about it. Like, like what does hundred million dollar man mean and Rainmakers Weatherman <laughs> in your profile? Because now I know entry-level yeah. escape artist. I've, I've, I, I can presume, but what about the other two taglines? Can you just shine a light on that? Yeah. Yeah. So as I mentioned in my, my very brief bio, I work in B2B sales analytics. And so as soon as I had accrued about a hundred million dollars worth of incremental impact, boom, hundred million dollar man. It just rolls off the tongue. It was so much fun. Uh, if you've ever seen Dan Pena, whether you like him or not, he's a character, right? He's super fun to watch. And yeah, he talks, yeah. he calls himself like the trillion dollar man or something like that. So I was kind of at a place where I'm like consuming some Dan Pena. I hit that impact number and was like, you know what? Let's go with it. I'll see what happens. Uh, because it's fun. I'm having fun with the sales analytics. Hmm. Rainmaker's Weatherman is a catchy way to describe B2B sales analytics because I've noticed that there are very few people who actually study sales and analytics together. And so while I think I've got my elevator pitch down to a relatively digestible like one to two sentences, it still often gets like a blank stare. You sell? No, I don't sell. I help the people who sell. So rainmakers are the people who sell, right? So you go find your best salesperson. They're often referred to as rainmakers. It's kind of like a uh, slang term or colloquialism. And then, okay, well, if they're bringing the rain, I'm their weatherman. I tell them where to go, get the best leads, get the best intermediaries, try the best products for those leads and so on. So that's where rainmakers weatherman comes from. Okay, no, I love it. And I also love it because this is what we call usually intrigue titles. And they yeah. kind of work just like why no, that that makes sense. And uh, in the hundred hundred million dollar man, it's both audacious and true. So that's that's what you're always, always going for. So fantastic. Now, just shifting the focus now more specifically sure, sure. on the book. So first of all, who is this book for? It's one of the chapters or like it's uh, mm-hmm, one of the mm-hmm. parts. So so can you just maybe clarify, like, what was your intent? Who is this positioned towards? So this book, it says entry-level escape, but really you can open the aperture a little bit to just junior most person on a team in an organization. And the reason I, I make that distinction is, yes, there's entry-level people. Hey, I just got my degree, starting my career. Uh, I've got maybe one year experience or less, like truly entry-level. Absolutely, the book is for them. But There's also a large portion of people who say join organizations like PwC as a senior associate, but then they find themselves as the junior most person in every project just because of the way that they get staffed. And so this is just as applicable to them. And continuing to think about that framework, and as I was preparing for this discussion, I mean, almost any individual contributor could probably pick up something from a book like this. 
But my avatar, when I wrote the book, it was absolutely for those junior most people, whether you're entry level, true entry level, or just you're on the bottom of the proverbial totem pole uh, on every project or every team that you get put onto. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. For me, when I uh, read it, it wasn't just mm-hmm. like interesting to me, but immediately useful. And I'm in a different position, you know, so uh, we're for all intents and purposes, a small company. Yeah. And I'm always looking for talent to just hire like three new guys. So I actually came into this with like, hey, maybe I can, you know, give this to them to help. But it helped me immensely because the same things, and we'll talk about that, that will make them successful, whatever they do and whatever value it delivers to them, it will deliver more value to me, right? Just by yes. definition of how the how the whole structure works. So I even thought that, you know, here we like to progress people really quickly, like quite aggressively, just because of, you know, how the company is and the philosophy and the principles and all that. And if I give them this roadmap and I actually tie my own incentives and expectations to these principles in the book, well, it will work fantastically for them and it will be amazing for the company as well. So on that note, like who the book is for, I can see an extremely tight case for why senior people who manage uh, entry-level individuals should read the book and very easily translate it into how they manage and promote people. So those were just a few thoughts when I when I uh, read the book. So you made that, <laughs> there's a really cool uh, chapter there um, which again, I appreciate that you did not skip over this when you made the case of why entry level work sucks. So, what are your thoughts around that? Why? Why is that? Why should people uh, look to escape? So, when you think about entry level work, there's two sides to the coin. So, the first side, which is the optimistic side, I want to give it credit because it's not an invalid perspective at all is, hey, you got to pay your dues. You got to show that you're a professional, right? Because you go from school, typically, or training sort of incubation type of phase to working, and you have to sort of cut your teeth, find your sea legs, pick your favorite cliche, and just kind of make that transition because working full-time and going to school full-time are radically different lifestyles, right? It's radically different in general. And so you use entry-level work, you know, it, it's a safe, for the company level of intensity or sophistication to help, you know, this glut of new people, help them sort of get their bearings. So that is a true statement. Uh, and so that is the optimistic view of entry-level work or just early career work. The pessimistic view and why you need to escape is because it is profoundly unfulfilling. You think about, especially in data science, which is for there's a big bias towards that, but, and most, most specialized roles would probably feel the same way. And I try to diversify some of those examples in the book. You go to school, you're doing hardcore stuff. Almost uh, very many people have master's degrees uh, in the data science field, right? So you're doing really intense stuff. You're doing random forest, you're doing modeling. You might even be doing like neural networks, deep learning, all that cool stuff. Uh, given the, the, the attention that chat GPT has brought to AI, maybe even doing some of that. And then you start your career and you're basically doing SQL arithmetic. You're sort of prepping the data for the more senior data scientist. Or, you know, in my own career, where I found frustrating was I had all of this really advanced mathematical training, but then they're saying, Hey, could you just do this query and calculate the mean? And then we're done. 
right? Or I could do other stuff with it. No, 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 no. We just need the meme. That's fine. We just need the meme. And so there was this big disconnect between the work I was doing and the work I could be doing from a just pure mathematical sophistication point of view. And so that led to this sort of it's unfulfilling, we'll call it un unfulfilling, but it's unpleasant. Where I'm like, hey, like, I want to do something hard. I want to do something interesting. I want to do something that challenges me because I'm showing up with all of this potential, all of this training, and I'm not allowed to use it. I'm not able to use it yet. And so that to me is where the escape comes from because you're on this treadmill where you're constantly trying to you know, move up. But, and this is the thing that, again, that transition can be very shocking. There's less feedback in the professional world, right? And there's less notches. Like when you're in school, right? Every year you move up a grade, you get promoted every single year. And every subsequent grade is harder than the one before it. So you're constantly getting promoted. You're constantly working on more advanced stuff. And every time you turn in something, you get a grade, you get feedback, real, almost real time. And so you're doing that. That's the world you're in. And you start working and you're doing projects and you're not really getting as much feedback. And you could work for an entire year and nothing changes. You could work for two years, nothing changes. You could work for three, four years and nothing changes because you didn't pursue that move, right? And so that treadmill to nowhere feeling is is like, absolutely like just an awful feeling that's why it's an escape right you're doing this work it's unfulfilling uh, you it doesn't take that long to to make that transition you know six months you're probably adequately competent in being a professional you know how to speak roughly you know how to send an email without using expletives or you're, you're dressing correctly all of these correct things that we do in the professional setting and then you're doing this work, but it's super repetitive. It's super low interest. And so that's where you want to escape. And that's the, those entry, I think I call them entry-level doldrums, treadmill to nowhere. There's a couple other metaphors in the book, but it really just is, you have most people, especially technically inclined people, they can do so much more than they're asked in these early roles. And so how do you escape that to do the cool stuff, the interesting stuff, the challenging stuff? that uses all of that potential that they show up with on day one. Mm, absolutely. And also the escape artist image resonated with me in this because um, not just because I'm Hungarian and then Houdini comes to mind, right? He was born under the, <laughs> the, 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 the Hungarian crown, but if you look at uh, Houdini, so he's almost like a magician, right? You look at, because not he, he uh, was someone special because not everyone could do the escape. But if you look at his method, he was obsessed always with methods. So if you looked under the hood, his art was all science in a way, right? And science in that sense is usually bringing together a bunch of different disciplines, which will create that novelty, which will then separate you from the pack. And that kind of tunnel vision, I think we talked about this also in the previous episode, but it's so strong. And when that, that tunnel vision sets in, it's such a huge challenge that even now, when I'm looking for uh, new people and I'm hiring, for example, I just hired a guy into an operational excellence role, someone who could come in, identify good opportunities in the company, and just basically reduce costs, uh, reduce the time that's needed to get the job done and increase the quality of the job that gets done. And we got like, so many applications. And as I was going through them, I just found myself, this was unconscious, that the more qualified the person was, the more like highly specialized their role was, the more dismissive I became. And I was looking for someone who was more like a jack of all trades. Again, 
it's a little bit of an a, a little bit of an exaggeration because you need to have a strong primary skill. Uh, but even business leaders and who are looking for people who can who can make an impact instinctively start to look more for people who have this like wider view. And I'm just pulling up my notes here. So I think you mentioned uh, something about like why you should escape. You uh, brought that Daniel Pinkman uh, uh, example of uh, why it sucks the. Uh, fulfillment what makes a, a role fulfilling right it's, yes it's it's mastery. it's mastery it's mission and it's autonomy yeah there you go there you go and all those things in entry-level work i think you made a really good case of why that doesn't exist and and you know both the the, the carrot and the stick was uh, mm -hmm. uh in the mm -hmm. argument the pain and the desire so um what is needed to escape so i think you brought two examples and one was the tools and then the plan. So why don't we just zoom in a little bit on the tools themselves? So what is yeah. the main tool for, for the escape? Right. So you're going back to skills, right? So the it's, it's interesting because the book predates this more obvious shift, but maybe it was an instinctive thing. Skills are what pays the bills. I know that's cheesy, but like we're, we're kind of like a skills-oriented labor market especially as and i love this about what's happening right now is the degree requirements are getting more and more relaxed mm. it used mm. to be if you don't have a bachelor's we won't talk to you if you don't have a master's we won't talk to you if you don't have a doctor we won't talk to you now they're you know they're accepting experience in lieu of formal education so it's really about what are your skills which is fantastic so going back to the tools you have your primary skills right now there's a lot of people who refer to them as like your hard skills, right? These are your technical skills. I don't like the hard soft paradigm because mm. no matter how much you try to couch it, no matter how much you try to soften it, soft skills are subordinate to hard skills. It creates this hierarchy that I don't think mm. does any justice to the nature of the two categories. And so I like to say primary and complementary. So the primary skills are basically your job description. Right. So you think about any data science job description we have to do. Okay. Well, you have to know SQL. You have to understand statistics. You have to understand R or Python or something, a Julia, some other software environment that lets you do the modeling and, and the advanced analytics. Some data viz, maybe, hopefully it's there. Right. And that basically is that core package. Right. So you, it's what you literally get paid to do. Right. And all of the people with your same job title are generally going to be good at those. And there's a hierarchy of competency, you know, there's, there's and, and you probably start at like the 60th or 70th percentile by way of your formal training or your independent training or your education. Those are your primary skills. Numero uno. Now the, 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 the complementary skills, which is the second aspect, those are, I mean, people often refer to them as soft skills. And again, I'm rejecting that dichotomy because of that, implicit hierarchy complementary skills complete you right that is why they're so important and so what are they they are whatever's not part of your core like job description skills so for a data scientist what does that look like the ability to make a powerpoint deck the ability to be persuasive the ability to, to, to uh, speak publicly to present the ability to run an effective meeting, the ability to write an effective email, the ability to manage a project, 
none of that stuff is like fun if you're thinking about like oh i want to do the next modeling technique or i want to do the next difficult study but those are the difference makers really between your junior data scientist and your senior data scientist your principal data scientist like and it keeps going this is the way i i try to instill an appreciation of these skills is okay look at your vice president Look at your chief analytics officer, look, whatever, like someone very senior, how much time are they spending in Conda? How much time are they spending in our studio? 0, 0.0 minutes per week. Okay, great. So that there's some sort of interpolation that can be made. Okay. Well, if today I'm spending 80% of my time in some sort of a code editor and they do zero, well, then as I move up, that's going to diminish. Okay, well, I'm not going to go from 40 hours a week to 35 to 30 to 25. So what's going to fill that in? All the other stuff, the complementary stuff. And that's where a lot of the coaching comes in because a lot of the junior technicians, they understand data science. They know how to pick up new data science if they need to, right? So if you understand Random Forest, for example, you can go on YouTube, watch a couple of videos about like XG Boost, and you got it, Right. But when you start trying to teach uh, complementary skills, it's a little bit more awkward because it's not something that they, they don't have that muscle memory. So that's where I put a lot of emphasis on the coaching, which is like, I you know, build courses for them. Here's a course to help you understand PowerPoint. Here's a course to help you be more persuasive. Here's a course to help you be more effective of a public speaker. Then they start to pay, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. And every, every good course will tell you, okay, and here's where you could do further independent study now that I've taught you the basics, right? So for example, public speaking, every time I teach a course on public speaking, I say, you gotta study people who get paid to talk. Stand-up comedians, preachers, politicians. You don't have to emulate them, especially politicians, because they say lots of words with low information content sometimes, right? But when you listen to the what I call the music of the voice, right? The, mm -hmm. the change in pace, the change mm -hmm. in tone, the change in volume, all of these different tricks, it can help you become more effective as a public speaker. And so that's an example for them to just like they can say, okay, no random forest, now I know XG boost. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm X percent good at public speaking. Maybe I study a couple of professionals and I feel like I can pull a little bit of that, incorporate that into my voice. And now I'm that much better at public speaking. So that's the complimentary thing. And that's really like people are like, wow, there's so much here. And that's the first aha moment because instead of uh, competing, like I said earlier on one dimension, they're competing on hundreds of dimensions. And each one of those is an opportunity to leapfrog. So Scott Adams, again, polarizing figure, but this is where I got the idea from is you think in terms of volume mm. right and so if you if you're at the 70th percentile for data science whatever that may mean and you want to go to the 80th that's going to take a lot of effort and to go from 80 to 90 even more effort so that diminishing returns thing sets in meanwhile you might be a two out of ten on so many different skills and so if you go from two to six or two to five right on a bunch of those skills and that's really like one book, one course, one weekend of just independent study, whatever that looks like for you. Suddenly you're going from, let's say seven times two, which is 14 to seven times five, which is 35, more than double. 
And to go from, to get to 35 with a two base, you'd have to get all the way up to 17, roughly, right? But that's, that's incredible. That would be like, you are chat GPT at that point, right? You, right? you become one with the matrix or something. It doesn't make, like, it's impossible. And so by growing all of those skills, you just build a bigger and bigger and bigger box. And then that box gives you the platform to mix the metaphor a bit mm-hmm. for impact, which is the third major tool. As I mentioned at the very beginning, the so what, right? Now, I don't like what's the so what because it's a little bit offensive. Like, you know, Laz, imagine, oh, I just did all this work. It's an entire year of my life and I gave it to the company. I worked so hard. I worked nights. I worked weekends. It's 37 reports. It's you know, 40 studies. It's 10 models. It's, 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 it's six apps, whatever it is. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of work. So what? That is so just like defeating. So it's a fair question, but it's a nasty one in a way too, right? So this is, what's, what was the impact? What is different because you were here? It's a much nicer way to frame it. And that gets them thinking in terms of, okay, what is the, what is the company value? Because if I'm here, like my job exists to advance that. Whether you're a for-profit business like CVS or you're a nonprofit charity, doesn't matter. You have a mission and that mission wants to move forward to advance. And that's where the impact comes from right? Like meals on wheels, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. We fed more people this year than last year. Wonderful. That's your impact, right? Somehow you help to to feed more. CVS, where I work, uh, B2B sales, but oh, more membership. Okay, great. That's your impact, right? And so helping them to think about their impact and for data scientists, especially, or just anybody who's kind of a technician, that could be very difficult because we don't actually have a direct impact. In fact, you could argue the only people that have a direct impact, especially where I work, are the actual people who sell. And so you have to be able to really tell a compelling story, complementary skill, to trace from what you did to the next step, to the next step, to the next step, to eventually it finally does culminate with impact. So you did a study, it went to an executive, that executive reviewed the study, made a decision, that decision altered the course of the unit or the business or whatever and then that led to an impact wonderful now you have a story that you can tell end to end about your impact and that's the like the nail in the coffin or like the the final game changer because now they're hunting for impact and because they've brought into their base with complementary skills they have lots of opportunities to attach themselves to impactful projects I might have two data scientists, but if that third one can sort of moonlight as a project manager, guess whose name's on that final impact number? They're playing a whole other game, right? And so that's how you end up with the three main tools in that first part of the book. So it's your primary skills, your set, your complementary skills, and your impact. Hmm. And it's, again, when I when I read it, I automatically reflected on, okay, now the kind of people that I'm looking for in a, in a business that's like on a mission, it's committed to high growth and all that. The main value for me is actually someone seeking out the right opportunities and actually seeking them, right? And with this framework, it just makes it so simple. <laughs> Almost like a story came to mind. Uh, uh, have you, or are you watching The Office? Are you? Uh, uh, I love The Office, yeah. Oh, I've, oh, seen, okay. I've seen every episode until Steve Carell left. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Same, same. We actually just went to like uh, 
like a an office trivia night. Uh, okay. We did, yeah, yeah, we did lose because people's knowledge is insane in in the office. But I remember this oh, scene yeah. when they are doing the layoffs, and then uh, Michael is talking to the the, the big boss man and says, "I sacrificed everything. I uh, uh, I like delayed starting a family, and then <laughs> said we didn't ask you to do that." Right, so there's like the impact. So you can do all these things, build all the apps as you mentioned, but if it's not useful, it will mean nothing. And so, just on the on the question of the primary skills as mm -hmm. well. So again, I'm just now reflecting on that. That the the deeper that skill is, all the way to you know PhDs and data science, it's it's not uncommon that people just have PhDs. Is that the real benefit and the real usefulness? of that skill is that that person is well-versed in data science in general. It's never about the actual specialization. It's more like the, the sphere of academia, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because when I'm looking for someone, it's rare that I'm looking for that specific skill. I want that person to be able to do the job today, tomorrow, when the next technology comes out, when that thing gets automated, I want someone who can keep up to speed with everything that's happening. So I'm looking for that literacy. I'm, lo I'm looking for that fluency in it. And so almost like I'm looking for that life skill dimension in it, but complementary yes. skills and challenge me uh, if you if you don't, that's the case, but complementary skills are more like life skills, right? So, so those are usually those skills that are applicable in so many area, areas, including personal life, like they're just so wide, right? Would you, would you say that that's accurate? I agree that it's accurate, but I would I would add a little bit to that, right? Because if you think about the book, the book tries to do justice to this. If you think about someone that works in HR or marketing or like a non-technical role, right? I've never met somebody in those roles who doesn't immediately level up and like leapfrog people when they become somewhat data savvy, right? So, if, you know, you think about HR. Right, and I used to work in HR, so those are my, those are my people, right? And I sell into HR, like I, I support the people rather than sell into mm -hmm. HR. So HR is important. But if you were to think about, okay, if I'm going to take all the departments in a company, where is the most and least analytical? I can almost guarantee you that the average person is going to put HR last in terms of analytic sophistication. First of all, that's false. There's tons of analytic, you know, people analytics, uh, retention analytics, the colleague, you know, colleague engagement type stuff. But imagine if you're in a world where you're on a team of like 10 people that work in analytics and excuse me, in HR, and you took like one or two courses on data analytics and Excel, not even the like hardcore esoteric, you know, our deep learning, just, just Excel. You get really good at Excel. You now have a superpower relative to everybody in your department, whenever there's something numerical. And HR has lots of numbers, compensation and all kinds of stuff like that. And so if you're able to do that, it's a complementary skill because maybe you're, maybe you're a benefits person and your job is to ensure that there's a benefits portfolio that covers the major needs and has good engagement. Okay, well, if you're good with the data, then you could potentially get into part of the budget conversation or part of the impact conversation for those things, for those programs. It's a superpower. You don't have to consult. You don't have to hire a consultant for that. You don't have to hire a whole new person for that. So you're like, you become like 1.5 employees to your, to your employer. So what you said, fully agree, especially when you think about the communication stuff. And communication, I say, is the universal complementary skill. 
But when you think about, okay, if you're technical, it's probably going to be a non-technical group of skills. And if you're non-technical by profession, pick up a couple technical. And again, you don't have to go get a PhD in statistics, but just one course. That's all it takes. One course, and you'll suddenly jump to an above-average competency in almost anything you want. And like that's that's got that's like the joy of complementary skills is you could you fifty-two weeks weekends in a year, you can become slightly better than average in 52 different skills if you wanted to right and so that's the only thing i would add is it's it, it's just what you're what's not on your job description hmm, plus absolutely. wonderful life benefits oh yeah 100 percent. and now even when i'm hiring for this new role i mean i already made the higher operational excellence i kind of follow the same line of thinking i was like mm -hmm. I, I assess the candidate is like okay do you know stuff like lean six sigma agile product project management kais and all that stuff and mm, heard about it, right? But not a problem because the the kind of level of competence that I actually need specifically is very easily attainable through a few courses. Sure, yeah, exactly. So accessible, right? LinkedIn, Coursera, all that. You can build it in-house, right? You can actually really distill that down. Now with, for example, I just used ChatGPT for it. Okay, how is that relevant for a B2B online training companies serving senior executives in data and analytics, right? With this size of company, with this level of revenue, with this many people on board, right? How is this relevant? How, how all those principles are relevant? So now the guy will gain the general understanding, building on, of course, some of his existing professional experience, right. made highly relevant to the business. That's the 80-20 in my book, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah. So, exactly. you know, that's a good idea. I don't think I referenced the Pareto principle enough, if mm. at all, but you're right. That's exactly what it is, right? Uh, 20, 80% of the gains or impact comes from 20% of the, the effort or the population. Yeah. Absolutely. Just maybe like a, a little bit of a, of a granular question about the for courses sure. that you build for your, for your guys. How do you how do you do that? And feel free to go into any detail that you'd like, maybe even what platform you use or what, what's your approach to actually yeah. building a course? So it's funny that you mentioned this because that's the next step for entry-level escape. Mm. So this is going to turn into like a plug inside of a plug. We're getting uh, exception. We're getting exception. <laughs> plug exception. <laughs> yeah. So what I've done up till now is I will often perceive a gap. As a leader, my opinion or philosophy, if you want to elevate it to that level, is it's my job to plug gaps so that people can grow and they get some ROI, so to speak, for their time on my team, within my care, right? Simon Sinek type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Absolute, perfect, like leadership philosophy, if, if anyone's interested, Simon Sinek. So I'll perceive a need. Like, hey, like, we're doing these projects. And for example, the PowerPoint training, nobody seems to know how to make a slide. Nobody seems to know how to make a deck. Great. I'll boot up PowerPoint and I'll just make the training from scratch. Just, hey, I'm gonna, here's how I think PowerPoint should be taught. And here's my tips and, and tricks. And by the way, here's my custom UX. So you'll be set 10 times faster. And then I'll just book meetings with, with, colleagues and, and and run them through the training uh, and so the very first training i ever did was a way to help the team appreciate where we could go and and so that was i just come off doing data science strategy 
And the main product that I was selling was building data science centers of excellence for other companies, right? So uh, you can imagine data science was starting to really hit its stride and they had pockets of it. But how do you either have a better rated model with someone thinking about what data science could do for the company or suck it all together? For There's lots of ways to do it, but basically rapidly mature data science. And so we're as a team, I'm like, oh, you know, let's think about, we had this cool, uh, sorry, let me back up a second. We had this app, we had an app. Okay, you already got a cool app, but like, let's, let me contextualize what this app could do, what the team could be doing. And that's where you had this like framework of like there's basic data, then there's reports, which are just literally facts. Then there's analysis, which gets into what happened based on that data. And then you get the prediction, then you get the prescription, classic, like five level framework. You've probably seen it or variations thereof dozens of times. And so sharing that is like, like, let's figure out how we can go from here to here. Like, what's the next project that's going to get us from here to here? And there was a lot of people who had been in this like BI mindset. So they were stopping at like the reporting side, maybe pushing into an analysis. But it's like, guys, like you can predict and you can prescribe and prescriptive. That's where the huge dollars start to like come from because now you're aiming people at, at their next best action, right? And the company had been doing next best actions already for clinical stuff. Let's bring that to the same. And we're still trying to get there. We're not done. This was like five years ago, still working on it. But that was the first one. Then we're going, we're going very quickly thereafter. Like, oh, you know what? We need PowerPoint training. And that's where I built this six week or six session because we could never keep it week, 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 right? Six session deep dive into PowerPoint. Then we keep going. And then the next one I built was, okay, we need something with a little bit more of a public persuasion and public speaking combo. Let me do that. And then I'm actually working on one right now that just takes the book and turns it into a course, like in case someone would rather hear it instead of read it. But that's the idea, but basically just PowerPoint. And so what I'm doing now is I'm taking some of the things I've built and I am in the process of, of you know, dressing them up, rebranding the ideas so they fit with the entry-level escape color motif enhancing it a bit but i'm gonna be packing and, and and selling those and i found out i can record myself kind of like this giving the the talk modularize it so it's broken up into more digestible pieces and we're gonna have a product probably dropping in april it'll be the first foray into into courses there you go. There you go. Actually, we have a very similar approach here. So uh, when you attended the masterclass, you see that we have like an online training platform. Yes. And I have one for my guys internally, right? it is, it, the, the, almost as if they are my clients. I want to help yep. them to, to uh, achieve success in their own discipline, create as much value as possible. I follow the same kind of, uh, uh, kind of idea. So when we talk about impact, so uh, with impact, I think you brought a great example of, let me just look at my uh, notes here. So yes, yeah, so with impact, you said that your low hanging fruit and your one of your best targets here is always like financial, right? So, so, yeah. so financial impact, which is you made it like very simple. It's either reducing costs or increasing revenue, right? Yep. So, so with that, by the way, uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about that kind of financial impact? Also, I think you brought some figures about what you should be shooting for with your impact. 
right? I think yep. that was like a yep. five to 10 times. Yes. Yep. So financial impact, especially if you're in a for-profit organization, like that's ultimately what drives a lot of the decisions. And when you think about, there's a, uh, a concept or a principle that every job exists because it provides more financial benefit than it costs, right? You're not going to hire $100,000, $200,000, whatever the price is. You're not going to hire that resource unless you, the employer, perceive, okay, I'm going to get 2, uh, 2x, 3x, 4x value from this person, right? Otherwise, why would you hire them? You could contract it out or you could do something else. And so can you take the work and tie it to that intended financial value? That's like the killer app right there. If you could do it, if you could put a dollar sign on your work, you are standing head and shoulders above everyone else when it comes time for promotions or just raises and bonuses if it's not a promotion year for you. Because there's this like ROI interchange. You do the work, it provides a bunch of value to the company, a bunch of impact to the company. The company then remunerates you or compensates you accordingly. And you do this kind of like tit for tat dance and suddenly you're promoted. They give you more reach, they give you more leverage so that you could have even more impact, right? So like the reason why, you know, like Karen's the CEO of CVS or you're the CEO of Data Story, whatever, like it's because they just keep creating more and more and more and more and more value. Like, oh, let's keep giving you more and more and more and more and more responsibility, right? And so when you're entry level or early career, it can be very difficult because you are so many layers removed from where the value gets created, right? It's doubly so if you are in like a cost center, like a research and development or, or data science even, right? And so my goal for that section and one of the trainings this is one of the the, the trainings I, I gave is you have to think in terms of of orders of causality right like first order effect second order effect third order effect kind of like butterfly effect or mm. uh, if you've ever seen that movie right like okay yeah, yeah, you make yeah. it like, director like, scott too yeah <laughs> yes there's a perturbation over here and it causes a rippling effect that ultimately culminates with some sort of impact that is incredibly difficult to teach someone the first time, once they get it though, they'll start coming to you. Okay, here's my story. Here's why it's impactful. Wonderful. In fact, what I tell my team is your job coming into these performance reviews is to make it sound like you single-handedly drove the share price as many dollars as possible. My job is to filter, help you process, potentially be like the wet blanket, but that way they're being taught to find the impact of the work that they do. So I'll give you an example from a data science point of view. Data science helps people make better decisions, whether it's helping the customer make a better decision, whether it's helping some sort of algorithm make a better recommendation, like you know, hey, I'm browsing Amazon, bloop, oh, sneakers, yeah, I like those, okay. Or you're on Instagram, it's like, bloop, something with a skull on it, yeah, I'll probably look at it, I'll click the ad. Or, you know, who to promote, who to fire, who to target for, like, if you're a sales rep, you only got time to make eight calls, right? Who are you going to call, right? You got these, these are your best leads. And so being able to lay all that out. And so here's a real example from my real team. We have this data asset that we've built. This is in the case study. 
mm. that we, we did for uh for people loved materials. it yeah yeah we built this data this data set okay for those of you not familiar just picture a giant excel spreadsheet okay two million rows probably 600 columns by now and the way we build that is we take all this internal external data we use some really cool data science to blend it all together into like a data smoothie and here's our beautiful data set called market opportunity okay that is one team that that's like their full-time job is to build this beautiful data set. We're talking like millions of dollars of intellectual property in that data set. Then we take that data set and we did a study on that data set to make recommendations to the business. Okay. So now you're wondering, so if you're the guy who built that data set and you stop, then one degree separation, a study was done. Okay. Then the, the vice president says, okay, we're going to make, we're going to target a specific part of the industry. Okay, great. We need a way to activate our salespeople against those targets. Oh, okay. Well, we can build an app for that. Okay. Now we're another degree of separation. Okay. You got this data set called market opportunity. It led to a study. The study led to an agreement. Okay. We're going to go after this particular segment. Okay. Now we need an app because we got 500 sales reps. And nobody except the sales rep down in Southern Florida actually knows what the best target in Southern Florida is. And so we build an app. That app uses that data, provides a user interface so that they can interact with that data to say, okay, here's the, the 10 prospects I'm going to call on or the four brokers I'm going to partner with this year. Okay. Then they have to go out and sell. Now, maybe they're going to win 10% of the time. That's not a bad win rate for, for B2B sales. And now there's money in the bank, right? Money in the bank, that's that's what I constantly tell tell uh, my team to, to, to talk about, think about. Okay, so the sales rep, that goes to their quota. First order of effect. I made a sale, go to my quota, I get paid. If I go over my quota, I get more money. Very simple, very straightforward. The app, all right, are you go. Was it the app or was it the salesperson? Well, we have a very careful measurement process to say, okay, well, this lead, Acme, was sourced through the app and then it was a sale. Okay, great. So one degree of separation, but there's some credit there. Okay, great. Uh, what about those other guys? Right, the one that did the study and then even more up the food chain is or, or, or cause, causal chain is the people that made that data. Okay, well, then you can look at the sales. Did they actually focus on what the study told them to focus on? Yes, great. Study team, nice job. Here's the lift over last year. Oh, and then data team, guess what? You're like the fascial tissue for this whole thing. So you just take credit for everything because like, but make sure you tell the story. And so that led to rapid growth and recognition for those people that work on that because now we had an end-to-end -end story right you want to talk about working dog hard and being chronically underappreciated to now basically you know widely recognized widely appreciated multiple promotions because the story was able to be that's a real example from from where i work right now that impact tell the story of the work and so think about you could did you did a project you created an asset it changed the decision. What happened with that decision? And you got to talk about it. You got to ask, like, hey, what did you do with that? What did you do with that report I gave you? What happened? 
if you're consistently told, well, thanks, I didn't use it. All right, well, maybe we can turn that into a self-service tool so I can reclaim my capacity so that I can go and find high-impact work because it gives you a filter once you learn how to tell a story. Because tell a story, get a happy ending, impact, great, keep doing that, find more of that. Tell the story, no impact, that's a warning that you something's gotta change so that you can have impact. Because ultimately, no matter how good your skills are, primary and complementary, there's no impact, you're gonna be pushing rope on that promotion case. So that's why I put so much emphasis on that. And the reason why I do financial is because it's the easiest one for any anyone to understand, right? So you can have a, because HR oftentimes has last say. Yeah. So you can, oh, I leveled up. I was, a, I was a data scientist with this much competence. And then I built this really complicated data science capability. And your manager or even your manager's manager, right? They get it because they're all data scientists. But the second you leave that, that, safe space, so to speak, of data scientists, HR is not going to know the difference between linear regression and XG boost. And so they might say, oh, I'm not entirely convinced. But if you say, hey, uh, I add $20 million of profit to the bottom line, uh, let's get this guy some a bigger platform. We'll get this person a bigger platform. That's why That's why we focus on that. Hmm. So good. I, I, I will give my new guy this podcast just to listen to because it's like such yeah. a simple concept. Uh, it does remind me uh, of, uh, because I think you mentioned the movie Matrix earlier in this conversation. It's one of my favorites. Yep. I just saw it like 50 times. I remember when I was 10, it came out in 99. We went to to see it with my dad three times just in the cinema. But then I was, wow. okay. yeah, I've been watching it again, again and again. Now it's not in that first one, but the second one, which is, you know, infinitely inferior. But still, you know, the Merovingian, he says it's yes. like this boss guy. And he said that, look, the, the reason why I'm here is because I just embrace the simple truth of causality better than anyone else, right? It's like action, reaction. So it's it's so good. I, I wanted to ask you about like how you actually measure that impact, but I think you already gave uh, an answer. Also, you mentioned in the book in the beginning that you actually unpack like how to measure impact a little bit later on in the book. I don't know, do you have any other... Uh, notes or thoughts around measuring your impact because that tends to be especially for technical people they kind of think like that anyways of of, right. of measurement so any any further insights on how to effectively measure your impact go back to your training right and so hopefully at some point a course or even a part of a course talks about experiment design have a control group, have a credible meaning valid, if credible meaning big, even better, but at least like a well thought out experiment. So that is the hardest for anybody to push back on. And you're going to get pushback because take your promotion, your raises, your bonuses, treat it like a competition. Everybody else wants the same part of that pie. And it's a kind of a fixed pie, unfortunately, right? I wish I could give everybody big bonuses, faster promotions, but at the end of the day, it's a fixed amount of budget. And so in like I work in sales analytics and there's always a little bit of friction. Like, well, you didn't actually make the sale, sir. And so why would you put credit in your ledger? Okay, let me explain. Blah, blah, blah. The more compelling that explanation is, the better. 
if you have a, an experiment with a classic test control design or like a disrupted time series where they're their own controls, it's much, much more stable, much, much more robust to criticism. However, in the real world, you don't always have the liberties to design an experiment. When I launched the app, I had no control groups because everybody gets the app. Why would I like, oh, sorry, Florida. No, like, why would I do that to Florida? I love those guys. Here you go, have the app, right? And so, okay, well, let's do uh, pre-post. Well, there's a ton of change every year in every market. So is it the catalyst or was it my app, right? And so instead, it's having a really solid story. Look, this is the sequence of events that I'm going to hang on. And this is the, you, people need to learn how to do this. Now, that's still measurement, and it's still very comfortably within the domain of the data scientist or the technician, right? Okay. Here's the uncomfortable part. This is where you need complementary skills. You got to socialize and syndicate those numbers. You got to get the person who is your proverbial customer to say yes to the number because you can put the number down, but you're like grading your own test. Yes, I give myself 100. You show that to your business partner. Uh, hold on, Skippy. I don't exactly believe that. Let's talk and let's figure out what your impact actually was. Right? That requires being persuasive because you're basically saying, hi, you had a good year this year. I want partial credit for your good year. No matter how open-minded or progressive, there has to be this little lizard brain moment, crocodile brain, right? To go back to mm -hmm. to uh, pitch anything, mm -hmm. they're like, "Wait a minute, that's my credit. I don't want you. To, I don't want you to give you any of that credit." They might be fishing out of a separate pie. So to to, to really butcher that metaphor, right? Two pie, like you have your own pie over here. They got their pie over there. You're not siphoning, right? We're not doing like drink up your shake uh, from from there will be blood, right? Their own pies. There's no, there's no, but they're still gonna be. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <sighs> Gotta give you credit, like hold. On. So that's why you have to be persuasive. The more orders of separation, the more people you're probably going to have to syndicate and socialize with, and the tighter your story is going to have to be. And so that's the like, you want to get that impact. The measurement's not the hard part. The hard part is the socialization, syndication, which is why again, complementary skills give you a chance. Right, because if you say, "Hey, I added X millions of dollars," and they just smack it away, like, "Nope, don't believe you, don't care, don't want to hear it," you're DOA, because now your impact went from X to zero, right? Because your bosses, bosses, somebody in that chain of command can no longer run around and talk about how great their team is, because somebody somewhere else in the organization turned it into a zero, or it goes below the line from like a direct to an indirect which may or may not hurt you. It does, depends on how the organization views such things. But uh, anyway, that's the, the crux of the impact. If you can do an experiment, great. If you can't have a good story and then get that story approved, talk to people early, right? Because the, the, the worst thing is it's like December 15th and you're trying to get some sort of end of year. Everyone's already checked out. And now you want to persuade, you want to persuade me to give you credit when I'm like figuring out which sweater I'm going to wear to the Christmas party. Now it's too late by that point. So do it early, use your persuasion. And then you've, you know, now you've got your impact. I love this answer because it's a little bit outside the box. Again, I didn't read this part. So I love it because 
whenever you hear some of these challenges, the same with data quality, right? Like if you ask a senior data executive or not even doesn't need to be senior, it's like data quality is a huge, huge pain point, huge issue. And a lot of times the answer to that is that, okay, how can we make data quality perfect? Here's like a $10 million solution and platforms and, you know, all this all these work hours that we need to put in, it was actually Ben, Ben Cho from Chevron in the past, uh, in yeah. the previous masterclass when we spoke. And he said that, but why do you need the data quality? First of all, right? When you have that, now what you need to shoot for is good enough because everything else, when you have good enough data quality, now that's when the complementary skills kick in so that you can make the case. And I didn't expect the sensor from you for the, the, the measurement, but it makes so much sense of why do you actually want to measure your impact? Of course, do that work that needs to be that fundamental, you know, look at the numbers, look at the causality, but do that so that you can make a strong case. And then when you make that strong case, that's when the relationships come to play. Because even when you say that, okay, you approach someone like, hey, can you validate my impact? Well, guess what? If you have a good relationship already, they will be already kind of sold on the idea. All you need to do is justify and make that tied case, the tied case in this in this sense is that it's logical it's step by step you know that th there's a clear view of how that is true and of course with storytelling what is usually the cherry on top is that you tell that story in a in language that actually resonates with the audience right so uh, exactly. th that is really cool and um it's interesting i'm looking at some of my notes with the comp complementary skills um i took this note reading your book it said what are my peers avoiding you know, like, yes, like yes. that's like a great indicator of what kind of complementary skills should I build? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So let's, I mean, I think in the book, I even use the HR example, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it same would apply in the technical roles. But I love this mindset of, you know, everyone, okay, we need to, let's go back to data science. We need to build a model, so boom, right? Like a sonic boom cracks out of the, out of the room because everyone raised their hand so fast. We need to build a slide and it's like crickets, right? I don't want to make PowerPoint. I don't like PowerPoint. I can't do PowerPoint. You hear those types of language, you're onto something, right? So there's two things I always do there. First is add yet to all of those negative sentences. I can't do PowerPoint yet. Because again, you're only like one weekend away from being good enough. Well, you said good enough, right? Mm -hmm. But Okay, well, as a as a leader, right now I'm in the leader's chair. Everyone again, boom, sonic boom. I want to build the model. Great. Okay, who wants to help me? It's like the the little children's book, the little red hand. Like who will help me bash the wheat or whatever, right? Not I, right? Okay, well, someone. Then that means I got to do it, right? And that goes to like the phrase that pays part of the book, which is, hey, what can I take off your plate, boss? Again, now you're doing that plus one level work, which helps to solidify that promotion case. And so the when people are avoiding it, it still has to get done. So either someone is forced or voluntold to use the corporate uh, jargon, right? Or it just rolls up to the boss, to the to the leader. Okay. That's one way to get it done. But imagine being the person who's like, hey, let me handle that. Right. And nobody's going to fight you for it. Right. Everyone's kind of like, oh, I want to do the model. Right. Just fighting over like kids. Right. Like, like I've got two, I've got two kids very close in age. God help me when they both want the same toy. Right. It's kind of the same idea where it's like, hey, we both want to do the technical stuff. So there's a competition for that. Meanwhile, this person over here flanks the competition. 
the deliverable just as important as the actual technical work, right? Okay, that's the data science one. We've kind of beaten that one to death. Let's go to the other side of the spectrum. Let's go back to HR, right? Oh, uh, who wants to do this, that, or the other thing? It's all HR. Oh, you know, boom, thundercrack. Everyone's handles up. Okay, who wants to help me forecast the budget for next year? Silence. Great. Oh, I'm actually pretty good at Excel, and I took a couple of courses uh, on my own, Coursera or Udemy or Maven or something like that, uh, to learn some some financial things. Let, can I help you with that? Great. Boom. They're completely flanking their own competition, right? Your boss has like that. That leader has to deal with the budget, and so they're doing the leader work. Okay. So a year from now, two years from now. Leader moves on, gets a new job, retires, something. Who's got the breadth of skill to step in? Now that's maybe maybe an extreme example, but like that's the that's the logic behind complementary skills, and the whole avoidance thing, right? So, uh, it, technical people are avoiding the soft stuff. Public speaking is a huge. Like everybody avoids. Public, oh no, not that. Okay, whose name? is going to be the most recognized name six months after the project is done. The back office technician who toiled away or the person who was out in front presenting at various events and fora, right? Is that fair? No, not really. Is that the way it works? Kind of, right? And so if you could do both, if you can build something very technical and then explain it, Two people present it effectively in, in, in an entertaining way. You're going to be like the most requested resource ever because there's this, you know, the, oh, it's all about who you know. Ah, it, it's who knows you, who remembers you, who thinks of you. And if, if, I, can, if I have in, in our organization, we, we, for individual contributors, it's, it's P for professional and then a number, P2, P3, P4. If I have a choice between two P3s, the one who can also make the deck and is happy to do the deck and can also do the presentation and happy to do the presentation every time I'm going to request them, I'm going to go after them. Hey, you want to work with me on this? Don't work with me on this. That doesn't mean the other person is, is bad or unqualified, but it's just, just so much more breadth to this other person. Okay, great. So now who's going to get promoted? That, that one, right? So that's public speaking. That's PowerPoint. That's not going from linear regression to XG boost. That's your complementary skills. What are they avoiding? Go do what they they don't want to do. And there's so many examples of that everywhere. Like if you like David Goggins or Jocko Willing, like those mm. guys constantly talk about like doing the hard stuff. Uh, was a uh, Hermosi. What is his first name? I, I don't think I've heard of him. Hermosi? Alex Hermosi, maybe? So he I know Goggins. His... I know Jocko. I haven't heard of Alex. Hermosi's great. Uh, very entertaining. He basically built multiple businesses around like the fitness industry. Okay. Okay. Right. But he talks about like, do the hard stuff. Like, I, I'm pretty sure I've heard him say, and his wife, similar, right? No, to grab grab the, the, the thing that nobody wants to do. That's probably where there's some value that you can unlock. Mm. Right. Huh. So you hear this all over the place. Yeah, because no, it's, it's so true. I didn't make that up. Yeah, exactly. I didn't make it up. <laughs> and it actually, 
now that you we talked about data science and HR, you of course talked about sales, but just to speak into into that a little bit again. Now we're having this conversation. I'm reflecting that maybe build data leaders, and then we that was in Europe between 2017 and 2020. It was a crazy ride. Uh, it was kind of amazing. And after we sold it, I spent like a year consulting, and I just helped small companies who were working in like very technical with very technical stuff. I mean, natural choice for me were high level, extremely intelligent, highly skilled yep. data scientists building AI solutions that were amazing, but they were struggling, of course, with how to tell that story to the client who's a CEO yes. of a construction company. <laughs> and uh, and it, they can literally triple their revenue. It happened with a, with a guy in the, the, the Czech Republic. The solution he built tripled a large construction company's revenue in like a year, which is just like mind blowing. Right. And yeah, that's awesome. And, and he had a hard time selling the solution. Had, had a hard time selling the solution. So so as I was reflecting, I was like, okay, what actually made that whole data leaders ride so successful? And at the end of the day, it was we were brought up in sales back in the day, sales in the sense of relationship building, you know, identifying yeah. good opportunities, delighting the customers, building the right expectations, delighting the customers. And just we were really good at like bringing people in the same community. That was like our, our, our superpower. And I've been having these like hundreds of conversations with senior leaders and it was always like, what are the biggest challenges, you know, and what kind of rose to the top was creating a data centric culture, engaging aligning key stakeholders, really getting true buy-in for analytics, not just lip service, you know, and then yeah, get that buy-in yeah, again yeah. and set and resell it. And then I remember when I was consulting, just had this thought of, whoa, and see how people working in these technical fields, like actually what they need is like sales and communication and persuasion. And my thought immediately was that, wow, whoever is doing that right now, obviously the several large companies must be making a killing. And what you said that actually in data sense, no one wants to do this. And when I looked at it, it's like, there's literally no one. Like there's, there's right. li literally no one actually in that field specifically. And for sales, and this is actually uh, my point, is that in sales, the same principle applies. So for a salesperson, their main primary skill is that they are ultimately opportunity conversion machines. If they can, you know, sell really well, make a case, tell a story, yeah. build a relationship, they can convert an opportunity. If the opportunity was never there, right? It you can't convert it. So with that, those salespeople who are just good at selling will not stand out. But those who will, for example, adopt an app from a data scientist in a company who approaches them and learn how to use that, learn that language in a fundamental way. I mean, salespeople won't, you know, uh, learn Python and, and code, They ob obviously, mm -hmm. right? It's like a very right. simple, I, I think in your case, it's uh, uh, you said that your app was called Disneyland for salespeople, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. in the company. But they still need to adopt it. And those who adopt that thing that all other salespeople are avoiding, because my job is about relationship, you don't get this, you know? It's like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, definitely, you need to have that skill, but you can unlock that, through a complementary skill, which in the case of a salesperson will be the other end of the spectrum, which yes, will be like a technical exactly. thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, to to cross the streams here, because uh, uh, I was on a powerlifting podcast uh, a couple oh, really? months ago. Yeah. Uh, or, or are you into powerlifting? I was. I got, I'm, I've aged out of it, let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but we were talking about dynamic resistance which uses bands right to uh, rubber bands to accelerate or to intensify the reverse part of the motion so like when you're squatting it intensifies the going down part because it increases it basically 
to, to simplify, it increases the, the pull of gravity because of the, the, the tension, right? We were talking about that. And that's that's an example of, of a complementary skill. You don't have to do dynamic resistance to, to be very strong. You also don't have to use equipment, right? You can have full squat suit that adds a ton of strength to your squat, or you could, we would call it raw. You could use wraps, all different ways to do it. But each one slightly alters the technique. And so when you're thinking about, like, the best power lifter is going to be good at all of that because they're going to, at that point, no matter whether they compete equipped or raw or with rather or whatever permutation, like they have squeezed out every possible expression of strength from their training. And so that is a total package power. You could train raw, compete raw your whole life, and you'll potentially never reach the certain threshold that that same body, that same work ethic would have potentially achieved with this other stuff and there's guys that just are religiously opposed to equipment they don't like doing the dynamic resistance they don't like wearing the suits or the or the briefs or anything like that there's like a raw 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 caveman style and it's like just open yourself up and this is a sport example right mm. or like the first time someone threw a forward pass in american football like is that in the rules actually it's fine and then you you completely like, imagine the the weirdness of that the first time that happened, right? But like sports are a great example of where somebody's willing to either do the thing that's unconventional or try the thing that people are avoiding, and suddenly, boom, it's a breakthrough, like Moneyball, right? Mm. Yeah, that's like the the data scientists' dream movie, right? Because they're like, oh, they did stats and woo, right? Uh, but the, the sabermetrics and stuff, but the, so many of those grappling or, or MMA, like it started off as pure style. And then someone's like, Hey, what if we hybridized? And then that became the dominant method and, and so on and so on. So um, doing what they're avoiding. So the grapplers did striking and the strikers did grappling any sport, pick your favorite sport. There's probably an example of that. And that's like the fun, like sports are fun, uh, but it applies to work your career all over the place just to bring it back to the, to the core of this. What are people avoiding that you're competing against? Great. You're on a whole other dimension. You're flanking your competition. You've got the shorter path to promotion now. Mm, amazing. Well, I'm also thinking that Brad Pitt just made a weird unplanned double appearance in the podcast. We did not, <laughs> we did not plan on that with Moneyball, right? Um, so uh, it's inter- sports analogies always resonate with me in this case, but my, my great grandfather was an Olympic wrestler. I think he was at the 1948, uh, Olympics. And he always talked about how, like why the most difficult thing about wrestling was that there were so many times when all he needed to win was he always used the image of a push of an infant's finger. It was a, that, that, that's all that, that was the margin. Right. And this is an easy way to create that margin for any professional. So now to then, because I I, I want to cover then, I think right now we made a good case, right? So whoever's listening, I think they are bought into the idea. So that part of the cell of emotionally being engaged with, okay, I won this. And we actually uh, uh, talk about it. It's one of the Oren Claff concepts of, you know, the way of the world, this is what's happening. There will be a, a lot of losers, a few winners. Okay, this is why it's important to you, right? Here's the 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 here's the deal. Here's where you actually make the case. I think we made the case, and now we need to I think tie it up 
with some confidence and due diligence, right? So I think you brought, I think you already mentioned this too, but I loved how now when people make this decision, the numbers need to stack up, especially for analytical thinkers. So you brought that example of volume of the box, right? And now we spent enough time on the primary skill, complementary skill, and the uh, the impact. And I just love this. So you basically said volume of a box, length times height times width, for your professional development, you'll have these dimensions. Professional package equals primary skills, complementary skills, impact. Now consider mm -hmm. a hypothetical package that reflects you are the beginning of your career. Professional package, six times, two times two, 24. Specialized yeah. with complementary skills, right? Then with six times, four times two, 48. It's like the number just, just add up. Now, if people are bought into this now, uh, I really liked right off in the beginning of the book, you mentioned that you need to look at this as a project. And you mentioned this in, in this uh, um, podcast as well. You need to focus on making a case. So when you get to that point of promotion, the case is what's important, that you can make that case well. So maybe if you want to spend the last section of this podcast on that, mm -hmm. like that project, and maybe some of the some of the steps that people would yes. need to take if they want to tag this. Yep. And this was born out of one of those tripwires, I think. But if not, here's a free tripwire for those that, that read the podcast. There was a point in my career where I had a meeting with a leader who would have been responsible and said, hey, I want to get promoted this year. They said, great, awesome, yeah. And then I didn't say anything to them for like, let's call it eight months. Then the promotion discussions start happen. Hey, remember we talked about it? They're like, no, I forgot. I completely forgot. What are we talking about? I didn't know you want to get promoted. Uh, not only did I say it to you out loud, I have it in an email dated October. Uh, I'd love to just like throw that to you, like, yo, what happened? But that would have been a bit passive aggressive. But that was where I said, okay, 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 okay. There's more to it than just stacking impact. You got to bring your manager on the journey with you. And that's where I was like, wait a minute, it's kind of like a project, right? Because you're working on a project, either you've got a manager or you've got a customer, you've got a stakeholder, whatever the counterparty is, they've got to come along for the ride, but they don't have to be in every single minute of every single day, right? And so after fumbling the ball in the, you know, red zone to, to bring a sports medicine, okay, let me bring the discipline. And so the next year, when there's a new, a new cycle, I said, no, we are projectizing that. We are going to have check-in, regular check-ins. We're going to agree on the criteria. We're going to agree on the like KPI or OKR, I think is the more modern way to frame it. But we're going to talk about how that, how to build that case. And we're going to check in to make sure I'm on track. And then boom, promoted, right? So there's like the experiment. So what does this look like? Okay. There's a couple of key conversations that you have to have first with yourself. That's kind of weird having a conversation with yourself, but like you got to commit to it, right? You can't be wishy-washy. If you want, if this is your promotion year, you got to commit. And the reason they say that is because you want more impact. There's lots of ways to get impact. I acknowledge this in the book. There's lots of ways to get impact, but one of the simplest, not easy, simplest is to just do more, right? If everyone's working 40 hours a week and have roughly the same amount of impact per hour, 
and you decide to work 45 hours per week, it's one hour per day, or put a little time on the weekends, that's an extra roughly, what is it, five hours per week. There's 50, so 250, something like that. 250 extra hours on a base of 2,000. So it's about 10% more impact. Assuming, again, everything is proportional and the same. Is that the happiest answer? No. Is that the best answer? Maybe not. And there's other ways to get impact. I don't, like, I'm not saying, okay, shackle yourself to your desk to get a promotion. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is at the end of the day, it's the simplest way to score more points, to do more, right? So you have to commit to it. And there's some uncomfortable parts that come with this. Besides potentially making a, a temporary sacrifice for work-life balance, you got to have some difficult conversations or awkward conversations like sitting down with your manager. Hi, I'd like to get promoted. What does that look like to you? What is it going to take to get you to, to support that? You immediately open yourself up to, nah, that ain't happening. That would hurt tremendously if that was said. But you've opened yourself up to it. Then you have all this extra stuff you have to do. You have to, and I talk about this later in the plan, but you're going to have to talk to your manager regularly about just this. Your manager's got dozens of things on their plate, dozens of, of other things uh, attacking them for attention. You got to stand out. This is an extra meeting on the calendar that you got to prep for, that they got to prep for, that they got to pay attention to, that you got to pay attention to. Then there's the promotion journal, which I'll go mm -hmm. deeper into this, but you have to do the extra work just to keep track of all the stuff you're doing all year that builds the case. Then there's the socialization. The best move you can make when you want to get promoted is to get your manager's peers or other like influential people in that sphere of decision makers to say yes to your promotion. Because I've never seen it be done in a way that's not by committee. Right? At a minimum, your boss is going to go to his boss or her boss and say, hey, I'd like to do an in-grade promotion so there's no organization change. It's just like a blue belt or purple belt, right? Type of thing. Doesn't affect anyone else. What do you think? I don't know who that person is. I've never met them. That's way harder than, oh, yeah, we talked. Uh, they they presented a couple things to me. Uh, you you guys pulled me down into a couple of working sessions. Uh, I had coffee with them twice this year. Like they told me what they were working. On. Yeah, make perfect sense. I agree with your assessment. So have that conversation with yourself. Commit to it because it's gonna be a hard year and it's a whole year. It's not like all right, I'm gonna go really hard. Like I'm gonna crash diet for a wedding and then who cares what happens afterwards? No, like this is a full year grind fest. Doesn't have to be a slog fest, but remember, simplest way to score more points is to just do more. Okay, great. You've had the conversation with yourself, then you have the conversation with the manager. That's when you have completely opened yourself up to sorry, it's not happening this year, and here's why. Now, that always hurts to hear, but if you're ready, you can say, okay, well, turn it into what do I have to work on? Because then maybe your one-year plan becomes an 18-month plan. In a 40-year career, six months, not a big deal. It's 180th of your career. What is that? 1.2% or something like that? If it's a two-year plan, oh, no, not that. We've doubled the timeline. Ah, One year on a 40-year career, 
probably not the worst thing. Plus, and I'm not sure if I mentioned this in the book, all the work that you're going to do to prepare yourself for promotion is going to just raise your ceiling, period. So it's a good investment in yourself. So you have the conversation with the boss. Okay, great. So the first thing was, I'd like to get promoted. What is it going to take? Okay, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. That's your success criteria. That's your recipe, your algorithm, whatever you want to call it, your rubric. That has to be written down. You have to get that memorialized. Okay, great. Second part. Hey, can we talk every other month, once a quarter? I like every other month. I think every other month is my personal recommendation for Cadence. Monthly, there's not enough change month to month. Mm. Quarterly, it gets a little bit too infrequent. Mm. There's something about that every other month. I truly think that's the sweet spot. So I would lead with that. Mm. Would you be opposed to meeting every other month? Just reasonable. <laughs> right. Sure. Let's do it. Okay, great. So now you've got that. Managers sold. Then there's going to be other conversations with that manager to make sure you're working on impactful work. One of the hardest things you can be as an early career, especially entry level, is, well, the work's got to get done. Even the low value work has to get done by somebody. And if you're at the bottom of the totem pole, that's it. There's nowhere to push it. So how can you have the balanced diet? Now, because you're talking to them regularly and because you're doing this self-advocacy, which one of the most important skills is self-advocacy, they will, if they're bought in, if you pass that first hurdle, with like, yes, I'm supportive. Let's figure it out. They'll start to channel your work because you don't have the autonomy yet because you're still early towards the high value stuff. Great. Okay. So that's like the awkward, like inertia. Now you're rolling. Okay. So what do you need while you're rolling? Remember that success criteria, that rubric. That's the basis of your promotion journal. Every time for the whole year that you do something good that helps to advance you towards those outcomes. Like, hey, uh, I'll give you a data science example. I need you to build a model this year. We need to see a certain level of data science competency. You haven't built a model yet? Build one. That's a milestone you need to hit. Great. Okay, thank you for making that explicit. You need to hit between 5 and 10x your salary in terms of impact. That is my own heuristic. Your mileage may vary by organization. There's lots of big numbers in the B2B sales game, so we have big hurdles that I set for people. If it's a smaller, smaller game, double your salary, but you got to beat your salary in terms of impact, right? So you need to have some impact. And you know what? I'm noticing that you're not doing X, Y, Z. That's probably going to be complementary skills. I'd like to see a little bit more of that. Awesome. Throughout the year, you journal, literally journal what you're doing, how it ties to those criteria, and the impact that they're having. You don't want to wait till the end of the year to look back and try to figure out, okay, well, the project I did in February, is did it? No, do it throughout the year. Have the discipline. Great. So now the ball's rolling. You know what your success criteria look like. Manager supportive. You're having regular check-ins. Excellent. Here's a little, I mentioned this earlier, the phrase that is going to unlock higher value work if the boss isn't thinking about it all the time hey what can i take off your plate it doesn't have to be their plate it could be anybody who outranks you so if in the cvs system you're a p2 you're often paired with a p4 
Maybe you both report to a director somewhere. Hey, Mr. P4, Ms. P4, uh, what can I take off your plate? If it's on their plate, by definition, it's P4 level work. If you're able to do it, you're now performing at a P4 level as a P2. That's amazing. That's amazing for your promotion case. Uh, again, this goes back to managing work-life balance, but the simplest way is to do more, right? Simple, not easy, simple. You pick up a few of those. Yes, it might stretch you to 50 hours or even 60 hours for a couple of weeks. That, that hurts. That always hurts. But it has a ratcheting effect on your competency, and it will absolutely be a huge feather in your cap as you write that journal, as you build up the story. So move through the air. You're getting the higher value task because you've been vocal. You've been self-advocating. You're also asking to take things off people's plates that are more senior than you so that you get those reps, those important reps. You're sniffing out the things that people are avoiding, your peers, right? You look left, you look right. Those are your competition for that promotion. Whether you want to admit it or not, that's competition. Don't do anything unhanded. Don't do anything untoward. But just keep in mind, at the end of the year, one of you is getting promoted. Complementary skills, taking things off plates. Now you've got a lot of momentum. You've got the journal. Great. You're approximately six months away from your promotion. Start building a one-pager that highlights your accomplishments and your impact for the year. Now, in the data science area where I've been working for the last my whole career, but where I've been leading people, I say key technical deliverables to showcase your primary skill and then highlight complementary skills. Because of the nature of the work we do, I'm usually looking for what relationships did you build? For me, that's like the big complementary skill that I try to get them to document. Hey, I got this director to open up a little bit. Maybe it led to a project. Awesome. Boom. That's a big complementary skill. And it's also like a non-financial impact because you've opened up the team to more opportunity in the future for impact. And then finally, what's the impact of the work you did? Right? You have that one pager. Wonderful. It's a draft. Now, here's the sneaky part. Not sneaky, but like clever. Find some of those people in that sphere of decision makers. Hi, person. I'm trying to work on a promotion case this year. Could you please, you know, you've been here for a long time. You have all this experience. You have all this knowledge, right? Appeal to their position, their competency. Could you please give me some feedback? They're going to give you feedback. It might be all praise. It might not have anything for you to do. But guess what you just did? You just told another decision maker to think about you as somebody worthy of promotion. You provided evidence that they could regurgitate if they ever need to. Now you've got two people on your team. Great. Repeat that for a few more. Now you have four, five, six people on your team. Then those six people sit around the table. All right, let's do performance reviews. John Doe, Jane Doe. Oh, yeah. Your manager doesn't have to say a thing. That's the best case scenario. So that's why you're looking for feedback. You might actually get something very helpful. Like, hey, uh, the big the big boss uh, values X. Did you do any X this year? Oh, I didn't think about that. Great. So that'll help with like the second, third, fourth level of approval if you need it. Or, hey, you know, you're, I don't work in your area. Your impact story doesn't quite work for me. You need to tighten it up. Great. You're shoring up vulnerabilities. But again, at a minimum, you got another vote of confidence. You do that a few times. You go back to your manager. Now you're getting close, close, close. Maybe you're at like the seventh, eighth, ninth month. 
either it's done, like for us, we basically close the door on the year in like November. Okay. Even though the promotion would be effective in April. So it's kind of a lag because of the HR machine has to has to process everybody. But generally speaking, like nothing's gonna happen in December. You're you're reaping the harvest. Like, okay, we had an initiative and then oh, there's the sale. Okay, great. Let's book it. So by November, you're basically done. You've given your promotion case, your boss, you have a final that's like, hey, what do you think? Yes or no? Or you've been talking all year, so there shouldn't be any surprises. You really just want to say, hey, are you fully committed to this? Are you fully confident? They should say yes by now because you've been doing all that work. You armed them with fully articulated, fully socialized one pager that they can then reference as they have to move up to different decision makers. You've essentially eliminated all of the, the no's. Except for maybe there's some like unforeseeable HR, like, sorry, no, no promotions this year, period. Oh, shit. Okay, that sucks. But you've done everything in your locus of control to lock that promotion down. It took you the full year, but you did it by taking it, breaking it down into small pieces and treating it like a project. Okay, here's my quarter one goal. Here's my quarter two goal. Here's my quarter three goal. And then by, you know, get halfway through Q4, you're done. Then you know. All right. And then it's a wonderful feeling because either you get the promotion, yay, pop champagne, confetti, the whole works, or you've grown more in this like a dog year for your career. Hey, if, if something's not going to work there, you've leveled up in so many ways, you're ready for greener pastures if that's what it comes to. Or at the very least, if they do say, hey, you know what, you, you put in a good fight, unfortunately, it's not going to happen, let that wash over you because that's going to suck. You just spent the whole year of your life working harder than you have worked. Okay. What's it going to take to revisit this in six months? Right? Again, six months in a 40-year career, it's 180th of your career. It's not that big of a deal. It's It hurts in the moment. But when you have the perspective, because again, you're not going from freshman year to senior year mm -hmm. and you're done. You're going from entry level to wherever your terminus ultimately is. So that's how you turn that into a project. That's the one-year plan. That's probably, I go back and forth between one-year plan and impact as the most important chapters in the book. I still haven't picked my favorite. It's kind of like picking your favorite kid in a way. Uh, but that is a major paradigm shift for professionals because up until this point, every single promotion has just happened. Right, you finish first grade, you go to second grade, you finish high school, you go to university for mo most people. You maybe you finished high school and you did some independent uh, coursework on Coursera, so whatever it is, but like it happens naturally, you don't have to do anything. Doesn't work like that in professional settings. You're not gonna, you, generally speaking, you're not gonna get promoted unless you advocate for yourself and you chase it down like a goal, like a project. The tap on the shoulder, like, hey, tomorrow when you come into work, you're a director. Like, that just doesn't, that's not the norm, right? It can happen. I'm not saying it never happens, but in this environment, no, you got to talk to your manager. You say, hey, I want to figure out what it takes to get promoted. I'm on this journey. Let's do it. And then you execute. 
And also why I love it is because even if you have to wait another six months, it's not like you're starting all over again. Exactly. So, this, so this is how I see it. It's like a huge asset. This whole process as you invest yourself in this process, you're building this, this extremely powerful machine that in this case is geared towards getting you that promotion, which if it won't happen immediately, it will happen six months later. But also this is the same tool that you'll use for the next promotion. This is the same tool that you use for maybe the next job interview that you need yep. to have. This is the same tool yep. that you would use if you start your own company and you need to demonstrate your credibility. It's the same kind of idea. So this is why I see it so, so valuable. And when you just maybe like a, a layer on that, an Oren Claff layer is that, you know, whenever you are building that case and that story, what's always crucial to remember, and I know that we mention this all the time, but it's a, it's a good image that when he actually goes deeper into the pitch anything stuff, when he actually talks to uh, entrepreneurs who are looking for investment, he says that, look, you got to remember Go get it tattooed on your forehead that the investor does not care about your product. Your company is a financial product for them, which is, which which kind of hurts, right? My my, my yes. baby. But that's how they. So in this case, the investor has a very specific angle, and they will yep. look at the same story from a different angle, and they will assess the value based on that. So when you build that journey, you build that case. Make sure it's well positioned. So yes. So this was this was really good, uh, Dave. Um, I mean, we planned on maybe like uh, cutting this up and all that, but I think we almost did uh, um, two hours, at least one and a half. Uh, so I think we did a good panorama. Look, entry level, escape, go pick it up. There's always this question. It's like, oh, Dave, where can people find the book? But it's kind of a stupid question. So anyone who listens to this probably can do a quick search. They can find your LinkedIn, $100 million man. And don't ask Chat GPT because it's a knowledge cutoff is 2021 or something. And this is, this is fresh. It's we'll true. use the jailbroken version. If, um, yeah. Maybe that will give it to you. Any final words about the, the yeah. book and your plans? So I, I have entrylevelescape.com. It is a website that is in development. So, you know, it's, it's March 30th, very much a whip, uh, by the, hopefully that'll be by the end of the year, like a proper, beautiful website. Uh, so you there, if, if, if you want the book, you can go straight to Amazon, Amazon does all the fulfillment for the book, but entrylevelescape.com can get you there as well. Uh, and the next chapter for us is courses, courses and articles to really help people essentially go on that journey uh, and, and provide them with the tools to, to develop complementary skills. I mean, I think that's like the real uh, gap or, or, or opportunity and probably figure out what the second version is going to look like. You know, like leadership is not in that book. So I don't know if it's going to be a sec, a separate book that talks about leadership or if it's going to be an, an add on to that one, but uh, lots of cool stuff. I, I, the more research I do in the space, it's something that there's a lot of thirst, especially, you know, Gen Z and younger millennials. Like they're like, oh my God, I have all this energy. I have all this potential. They're just like coiled up like mm -hmm. a spring. And it's a tragically underserved question or need. Right. And you can, you can, you know, Simon Sinek talks about it and, and, and make, and he has great, great messages about it, but he's one guy. And I haven't seen other people mm -hmm. kind of echoing that. And you know you can you can go deep into you know various motivational topics, but they don't kind of help with the recipe. And so here's the recipe. And so my my goal a million promotions, right? And so can we just get a million people promoted? I think 
that's where the good work happens, the good stuff, the fun stuff. I can tell you from my own career, you probably felt the same way, like the stuff I was doing uh, at the very beginning of my career was so unfulfilling and I was having fun, like literal fun, like being paid to go to work, to do stuff that you actually find fun once I moved through that phase of my career. And I absolutely, whatever I can do for anybody to help them knock one or two years off of that sort of trial period to get to the fun stuff, because you know you can see it everywhere you look online, people, oh, I don't want to go to work. I don't like working. No, it's because it's not, you're, you're stuck in this entry-level prison. And so let's escape and let's get you to the fun stuff. Because I know people, oh, work, fun doesn't make it. No, trust me, when you're working on something that is right at the edge of your competency, it challenges you. It engages you. It brings all of you to solve it. Now you're having fun. And that's what I want. People have some fun. Mm, absolutely. That's uh, why we have the book. Kobe Bryant, one of my, uh, not one of my, my, my favorite uh, uh, professional athlete of all time. You know, he was like obsessive and the hardest work and all that. But when they asked like, what is, what is the most important thing is he said that I just love basketball so much. It's yes. just so much fun. It's just so much fun. And not getting there, it's not just shortchanging yourself and not just the, the tragedy of all that lost potential, but everyone else. So if you manage to tap into that using a blueprint like yours, then that's just value generated for everyone. And I think you're a great ambassador for the cause because you know your style, even just looking at the book, I imagine that you know, entry-level escape, you could, you could have chosen a title like take your career to the next level or something, but no, you actually understand storytelling. So it's like, no, your blueprint for raises, bonuses, promotions, that's what people care about. And when they try to achieve it, what what do they what are they missing? A blueprint, a plan. So it's like so well condensed. Uh, even your tagline, entry-level uh, a job sucks. People just say, yeah, it, 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 it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> it it, 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 it kind of does. Dave gets it. So Dave, fantastic, very good conversation. Appreciate you. Appreciate your time. And we'll hope to have you back on the show maybe for a third round uh, in the not-too-distant future. Look forward to the hat trick. <laughs> right. Thank, Thank you, you very much care. for having me.